This morning's message might in some way touch on those times in life when things are not well. If you've lived long enough and it doesn't take long, you start seeing that there are seasons of life. Sometimes things that go very well and everything that you're hoping actually takes place. That's not normal though. Normally you have to wait. Normally you're going to face disappointment. But then those seasons hit when very little goes as it should. And the older you get, then those nights might start taking place. When you cannot leave things behind, you're staring at the ceiling, it's dark, and there's a battle going on on the inside. And as you keep living, hopefully then, as you try to be guided by the word of truth, perhaps you start seeing slowly and hard-fought some victories through those dark nights. Passages become more important to you because as you come to that passage, you remember back when that passage came alive in the midst of a season that was very difficult to you. And slowly your faith is built through that time and you're encouraged. And so when that dark season begins again or a new season of darkness begins, okay, I've seen God's faithfulness in the past. I don't fight perfectly, but let's go back to the word. Your faith is built. But Psalm 77 doesn't quite speak to that situation. It's a little different. What Psalm 77 speaks to is when you've had those seasons and you've, by God's grace, grown in faith through those seasons. And then they start again and you go back to those worn paths that have helped before. Only this time, those passages add to your burden. This time, when you go to to listen to that song and sing that song again, the song that helped you so critically through those times, it doesn't help. See, Psalm 77 is a psalm of lament and it speaks to a dark season, but this kind of dark season is the dark season that's not going away, even with your tried and true passages and songs that have so helped your soul in the past. What happens when you reach towards God in that darkness and it seems that the very truth of God adds to the burden of your soul? See, when you understand that kind of night, then you're going to understand the psalmist of Psalm 77. When you've grown more seasoned in your faith and those basic truths still normally help you and cause your heart to rejoice. But now in this season, you're finding that they only make it more difficult to go on. Then you're ready for Psalm 77. Because this psalmist has learned that sometimes the worn paths to God don't seem to help. And yet he presses on. He presses on to remember God's divine work. So let's see the testimony of this man and let's hear the message that he has really as he crafted it for the people of Israel and by God's grace, we still have it for us today. Psalm 77, I encourage you to listen as I read. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? 
Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Again, as he begins, he states that his own worn paths to God are not seeming to work. And I think we can find likeness in that. Sometimes our worn paths to God don't seem to work. And I'm not using worn paths in a negative way. Those paths to God that we find generally and repeatedly help us to cling to him and to press on. Sometimes the psalmist admits here in this season, sometimes those paths don't seem to work. What are his worn paths? What does he typically do in those darker seasons of life to press on? Well, we see in the psalm that his worn paths are prayer and song. Pretty soon we see that, verse 2. He uses two different ways of stating this. He seeks the Lord and he stretches out his hand day and night. And that idea of stretching out his hand without wearying, this is continual petition to God. Continual prayer. And if you can recall the, the, the time in life, a time, when you've been in this kind of situation, needing God's grace, things are not going well, it's hard to keep praying. But then at the same time, that pain and that suffering, in a way, reminds you to keep praying. Well, that's where this man is. His hands are continually stretched out to God in prayer. But what's the response? My soul refuses to be comforted. Maybe he turns to a season of prayer, but at the end of that season of, of going to God in continual petition, there is no resolution at the end. There is no hope that he's able to arrive at. That season of prayer ends still with sorrow, with the suffering continuing. In fact, verse 3 shows, even when he intentionally remembers God and meditates upon him, what's the result? He's so overwhelmed that he faints. This is, this is not a good fainting. This is not a restful sleep that he achieves. He tries to go to God, and it's too much for him. Verse 4 he even sees God as continuing this season for him. You hold my eyelids open. God, when I go to you, it's not only that you don't give me hope, but you're keeping this season going. You're keeping me from sleeping. I have no rest. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Again, I think that combines with verse three to show that he is overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. And there is no peace that he can find. Even in verse 5, we see again this persistence from the psalmist. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I think he's trying to go back to the work of God. Remember what God has done before with his people. In verse 6, now it's not just prayer. It's not just meditation on, on God. 
It's also uh, singing. And I think, I think most of you probably know the power of song. We just experienced that, did we not? As we go back to those rich words and are able to lift up our souls to God, there's, there's power in singing together and hearing the testimony of other believers and then of calling that to mind throughout the week. Let me remember my song in the night. Let me remember that song which before had lifted my soul and helped me. Let me meditate in my heart, he says in verse six. But where does that lead him this time? That leads him to some very scary questions. Again, there is no peace yet. He says, there's a, a, a psalmist that says in Psalm 143, 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. Thankfully, there are times when going back to remember the work of God is a great encouragement to our souls. And, and that, that truth of God helps and sustains us and keeps us pressing on. But this time, the psalmist doesn't find that help. What is being communicated through here? Again, there are times, there are seasons when we take those worn paths of faith towards God, but we don't yet find relief. And if you have known such a season, then you're able to come alongside the psalmist and say, amen, I've been there. And so maybe at this point, hopefully, your interest is piqued. How did he handle it? Maybe you can remember how you handled it. Maybe it didn't go so well. What did this man do? And I, I think at this point, probably some of you can't help but asking, why? Why does that time persist? That's a very human response. That's, we want to know the reasons. Why is this going on? We're not quite there to the answer yet. But I certainly don't fault you if you're asking it. Why don't my attempts of faith help me in those moments? But I do want to point out, look, he's doing good things. He's seeking, verse three, to remember God and to meditate on God. He's seeking, verse six, to remember the, the song in the night that he has had before when he has gone to God, lifted up his heart and meditated on truth. Verse two, he's sought the Lord. He's stretched out his hands to him. These are steps of faith that he has taken. And again, I, I think many of you have been here. When your go-to passages don't help, Maybe you pull up a playlist of songs and you say, well, this is, these albums have been dear to me. But then you realize 30 minutes later, you're halfway through the playlist and your heart is even deeper into fear or into worry. There are those times. And that's the time that the psalmist has hit. So I want you to see that this is real life. But I don't want to miss verse one. And this is so essential for us understanding the psalm properly. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. What does verse one show? At the very beginning, this shows that this man is seeking to handle his situation by faith. And let us not lose sight of that. Is this man spiraling? I think so but he is seeking to fight through it by faith. God will hear me when I cry out to him. It looks grisly in the details. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is real life. Things don't always resolve quickly, but he is seeking to go through this by faith. And so these are actions not based on what he senses, not based on what he feels. These are actions of faith as he seeks to, to cling to God and to go to God with his heaviness. But it gets worse. It gets worse as we get to verse seven. 
Because can you believe that a person of faith would actually ask questions like these? I want us to hear them and don't miss the terms that he is using. Will the Lord spurn or reject forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Steadfast love is a pretty key term in the Old Testament. Covenant faithfulness. Is God no longer faithful to his covenant? That's what he's asking. Are his promises, is his word at an end for all time? He's questioning the faithfulness of God. Has he forgotten to be gracious? Very interesting that he would use this term because God had warned the Israelites not to forget. And now here's an Israelite asking, has God forgotten? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? We have verses like Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I I would think that a, a man of faith like this probably has verses like Exodus 34, 6, passages like that that are going through his mind, but those are the very passages that are causing him to sink even further. And so he is giving voice to the questions that will not go away. See, the problems that he's having, he's taking those worn paths of prayer and song, and now he's facing this problem of being overwhelmed. We saw the fainting in verse 3. Things are overwhelming him, and he has this problem of persistent questions, I think, that are just not going away. And so finally, he voices them. And how would we describe those questions? Those questions represent, do they represent faith? I think they represent doubt. Well, what place does doubt have as a believer seeks to fight by faith? And see, this is where I think Psalm 77 can inform our practice. If we're not careful, we sometimes think that faith just looks squeaky clean. It kind of glides through life. And I would argue, and I am arguing, that this man is fighting by faith in Psalm 77. And he's expressing questions that strike at the very heart of who God is and what his relationship looks like with Israel, specifically with a believing Israelite like the psalmist. He's doing the very thing that is necessary in order to continue fighting by faith. He could hold these questions in and let them keep making things worse. Instead, he brings them to the presence of God, who is better able to handle the questions of doubt than God. And so he brings them to God in his weakness, in his fear, in his state of being overwhelmed. He brings them to the being that is most capable of helping him through that season of doubt. You could have different truths in your mind and believe all of those truths, but the challenge is not in believing those truths individually, it's believing those truths together. So to use a light example, you could say, and this is similar to what I've heard, Georgia is a great place to live. Truth number one. The weather is great. We get to avoid the the extreme winters, truth number two. And what's truth number three? It's bitterly cold outside. So now you have three different truths, and you wake up this morning, and you find out how cold it is, 
And what's the challenge? In bringing those truths together. And so of all mornings, maybe this is the morning you're doubting if you moved south for far enough. <laughs> Florida looks like the green pasture on the other side of the fence. Well, more, more seriously, I think that's the kind of situation that the psalmist is facing. The faith is still there. He believes that God takes care of his special people, Israel. Remember the setting of this man? The Old Testament times. He believes that. He also knows that he is a man of faith. He is seeking to keep the covenant, to believe what God has said. What's that third truth? Currently, his life is terrible. And it's in bringing those three truths together, or truths like those, that is where the battle rages. How can these things all be true at the same time? And really it strikes at the heart, again, of his view of God and his relationship with God. Isn't there a wealth of camaraderie that we can have here with this man? Because this is life. We have expectations of how things should happen. See, sometimes the troubles of life test not only your endurance, how long can you persist through it, but they also test your very faith in God. We crave understanding. We want to know the why. Why is this happening to me? We want to know that. And I believe that's what the psalmist is trying to work through. Why is all this happening? How can it be happening? Because I know what God is like. I've read this, I've listened to the scriptures. I, I know his promises. And yet that doesn't make sense when I look at this season. And it's in that situation that we start to spiral. I would reiterate, it is before the throne of God that we will find the best possible space to give voice to those doubts. Bring those doubts to God and see what he does with them. Search the scripture yourself. Be instructed by the truth of what God has said and what God is like. Find his practices in the past with his people. Fight through it on your knees before the word of God, before the throne of God. Have you entrusted your greatest doubts to the God who is able to handle them? Have you brought those fears into his presence with an open word? You are not strong enough to bear those doubts yourself. See, that's the wisdom of God. In his providence, he brings his people through things that, that bring you to an end of yourself where your inner strength just won't cut it anymore. He brings you to the point where your more element and mine, our more elementary, basic understanding of truth, only gets us so far. He brings us back to that point and then he pushes us beyond it. Why? To deepen our faith. To cause us to know him better to teach us how to better live by faith and according to his word. We need that. Without those times of heat and pressure and suffering, we kind of just fall back on what we know. And we enjoy those seasons of rest, but that is not typical of all of life. So how do you show faith like this man? I, I'm going to show you as we keep going. I think what he did is he went back to the revelation of God. He went back to what God has done. And he remembered God's divine work. You say, well, he already tried that. We, we saw that in verse five. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. That's a pretty general statement though. It gets more specific. And there's a turn that you see in about in verse 10 or 11, where he's remembering more specifically God's divine work. Verse 10 Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And then if you have 
different Bibles, maybe you see a note there on the end of verse 10. The note for my copy here says this is, or another way of translating this verse, this is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. And if you read that and then you read what's in, I have the ESV in front of me, those are two very different verses. Verse 10 as it is in the text is tremendous. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's a verse I can put above my sink. I can keep it before me. That's a tremendous, and then you read the note and you're like, but can I? What's the verse really say? I'm not going to help you much here. As I looked into it, I tend to think that the note is probably more accurate. This is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I think that represents what he's saying in verses 1 to 9. I thought I knew what God was like, and then this is what I start to experience. What is going on? I think that's what he's saying in verse 10. However, what you have in verse 10, at least in the ESV, I think at the core of this, there's a couple words that they're trying to figure out what do they actually mean. And you still have, as given in the ESV translation of verse 10, you still have the spirit of this psalm. This is what he's doing. And it's evident in verses 11 to 20. He is appealing to the work of God. He's confused by how things are right now. And yet he still goes back and says, but I know what God has done before. You start to see that in verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Maybe it hasn't helped me. Maybe it's made things worse for a time, but I'm still gonna keep before me what God has done. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. But it gets more specific. And even in his pain, he starts to boast of God. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? It's like he's counseling his own heart and saying, you could go to the right or to the left after other gods, but we know that that's not going to help. There's no one like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Specifically, verse 10 So think of a funnel. He's getting to something more precise here. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Now our eyes might just slide by those two names, very familiar to us, but why does he choose to mention specifically Jacob and Joseph? What would these men have in common? Well, of the same family line, yes, When these men died right before, what did they instruct their families to do? They gave burial instructions. To be buried where? In the land. I think what the psalmist is pointing at is he's remembering, look, there have been people in the past, people blessed by God, who did not yet see an end of God's promises. They had to die in faith. That's counsel to a troubled heart. Others have been in similar situations before. Others have had to even die waiting for the promises to be completed. You have redeemed your people. And I can remember two people in particular that had to die in faith waiting for your promise to be kept. The tide is turning. This man is hoping in God. And God's work speaks for itself, does it not? There is no God like him. He has openly redeemed his people. Uh, Verse 9 makes that a little more specific. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Speaking of the Exodus, a time when God opened up 
a path through the water for the people of Israel and then closed it on their enemies, the Egyptians. The great moment in Israel's past when he claimed them, when he delivered them, when he redeemed them. So he's remembering that. And I think how we may start making sense of this is that it's through those kind of acts, it's through the salvation that God brings that life starts to make sense. You pull that out and it's not going to make sense. He's going back to the beginning. God has claimed Israel as his people. He has delivered them. And there were Israelites even after that, or, oh, I'm getting things mixed up. There were Israelites even back further before that claim that still had to die by faith. But he's going back to remember God's deliverance and then interpret his life through that. It's through our redemption that the people of God should understand God's work to us. And a glorious passage for this is Romans 8. And I think this brings together even some similar battles that we might face today. It, there's a the glorious truth in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, it's wonderful. And then there's that chain that begins in verse 29 of those whom God foreknew and predestined to be conformed to become like Christ that ends in glory, ends with glorification. But let's remember the setting of Romans 8. Life is still not going to be grand in the meantime necessarily because he says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ and then look at what he mentions. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Glorious. And it's going back to recognize our place before God that helps us to then understand better the trouble and the tribulation now. You take out that salvation and you will not be able to make sense, proper sense, of the suffering. And so as the psalmist goes back to the redemption when God redeemed his people and even to people of the past like Jacob and Joseph that died in faith waiting for God's promises, that's helping him to make sense of his present. But this this type of fighting through the dark seasons of a life will not make sense if you treasure this life more than the next. It just won't happen. And that's what this man is having to learn again. God has redeemed his people. That's one of the works that God is, that this psalmist is remembering. Remembering God's divine work, he has redeemed his people. But this remembering, if you track this, it starts again in verse 3, I remember God. Happens in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Maybe you've tracked that and you said, yeah, but there's still some kind of switch. How do I go from being overwhelmed to ending with hope? How does that happen? Because when I'm overwhelmed, it's a battle. I'm not always fighting by faith. Yes, this man shows evidence of faith. But if I'm honest, if you're honest, that, that path is not always one that we walk by faith. Sometimes our hearts really are grumbling against God. How do I make that switch? I want to keep that question before us. How do things change for this man? There's a gradual change that happens. 
throughout the psalm. And certainly remembering God's redeeming work is helping him. But I don't know if that's the golden key that is unlocking everything for him. I don't know if that's the, the missing piece to the puzzle. It's helpful. But what helps this man end in hope? What, what helps turn the tide for him? What's at the core of this? What really resolves things for him? You get to verse 16, and it's amazing language. I, I think another psalm is helpful. I'm just going to read briefly from Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. But listen to the language in Psalm 114. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. And you can read the rest of the psalm on your own sometime. But that's grand language, speaking of creation, responding to the work that God does as he delivers his people. And that's what we have in the end of Psalm 77. This grand language where creation is responding to the work of God. The waters saw you, they were afraid, the deep trembled. This is, creation knows that God has come in to work specifically for Israel to deliver them. But that's not the final answer here. I would say that you will not really get Psalm 77, its message, unless you see the place of verse 19. Verse 19 is the key. You need to understand his misery. You need to understand his continual battle and that God doesn't seem to be helping him yet. You need to understand his doubts and his questions. But you will not get the message of this psalm unless you see the place of verse 19. Specifically, the last phrase in that verse. This, as he's searching the scriptures, as he's thinking through God's revelation and his promises to the people and how he has acted towards Israel, this, I think, is what in the end brought everything together for him. God's footprints were unknown. They were unseen through all of this. Yes, creation knew that God had come in to work specifically to deliver Israel through the Red Sea. Creation knew that. Amazing things were happening. Who wouldn't have enjoyed going back and just watching this unfold? Tremendous. But in all of this, as it's playing out, could the typical Israelite have said, I see exactly what God is doing? No, the Israelites were what? They were facing fear, were they not? How is this all going to work? The, the best army in the world right now is tracking us down and we're this huge group of people. We can't move quickly. We're trapped facing water. No, the typical Israelite, I don't think, is living by faith in the moment. What is God doing? And it's in that that the psalmist finds a connection because this is the heart of his struggle. What is God doing? doing. I want to see the exact steps that he is taking. I want to know everything as he's laid it out. I want to be able to see and understand the why behind what I'm facing. But then he finds, as he searches through what he knows of God and God's work towards Israel, he finds a connection in the Israelites as they're running from the Egyptians. They didn't know exactly what God was doing then either. And in that connection, now he can grab on to hope. I don't have to know. I don't have to see those specific steps that God is doing. Verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The whole time God was working. That is the key. That is the final piece of the puzzle. It doesn't tell him all the why, but he reminds him 
that his people have been through something like this before. God was there. Creation knew it. But the Israelites couldn't have pointed at exactly what was going on. And yet God brought salvation. God has redeemed his people. He has led his people. And his leading continues. Do you know exactly what he's doing in your life? No. Very probably not. Sometimes you see little things that keep you going, right? In fact, I, we've been encouraged by that as we've been going through a major transition for our family. Again and again, Erica and I have been encouraged to see just the small ways that remind us God is good and God is in control. Those things are there. But can we see all of the reasons and exactly how this will play out? No, we can't. And that is not new to me. That is not new to you. This is often how God works among his people. Your way was through the sea. I don't think that you want to, I mean, hindsight, yes, but would we volunteer for this kind of situation? I want to be in a situation that is completely impossible for me to figure out. The odds are overwhelming. Death is certain. Yes, I want that situation to see how God works. I think that volunteer line is going to be very short. So verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. No Israelite, I would suggest, would have thought that God was going to work like that. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people. That's the end. You were still leading. It was through, it was through these men, Moses and Aaron, but you were there. What's the implication? What is he ending with? The Psalms is saying, and you're here. You're still leading. I don't know how this is all going to come together. I don't know exactly what you're doing. But you continue, God, to shepherd your people. So how do you make that switch? How do you go from doubt to hope? And I think what we, again, what we see in this man from the very beginning is he is seeking to handle this, maybe imperfectly, maybe haltingly, but he's seeking to handle it by faith. And he's using God's revelation. He's using what he has learned of God's work in the past and what he has learned of God's character. He's using that the whole way through. At first, it seems to make it harder. He doesn't give up. He presses through that. What is your hope if it is not found ultimately in the word of God? What is your hope if it is not found ultimately in the person of God? And so at first, you might look at the evidences around you and say, these all point to God being against me. We cannot be guided by what we see and what we touch, and what we hear, and what we feel, and what we taste. We cannot ultimately be guided by those things. This man refuses to let those sleepless nights change him so much that he abandons his faith. He persists through that by faith, using God's revelation to guide him. So there is no, ultimately, no secret. Sometimes you're going to have to search diligently to find that passage that then helps you to rest in God. Sometimes you're going to have to persist through those first few passages that are your worn paths and just keep on going. If those are not bringing resolution to your soul, then keep searching, keep fighting. Turn to the next song that reminds you of God's truth. Don't give up because God is working to redeem his people and God continues to shepherd his people. These things have not changed. Others have faced what you face today. I want to, you to see the transformation that happens to this man. If we start in Psalm, in verse one, just listen to the pronouns. I cry aloud, he will hear me. 
In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. My hand is outstretched. My soul refuses to be comforted. Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan, I meditate, my spirit faints. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days. I said, let me remember my song. Let me meditate in my heart, then my spirit. That's the beginning of the psalm. Then you have the questions. And maybe you still say you're unconvinced. You love how verse 10 sounds. You're going to cling to it. That's fine. I will appeal to this. The years of the right hand of the Most High. Or you say, okay, well, maybe there's a point. My grief is that it seems God has changed. Okay. And then you have this mixture in verses 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds and watch him take off. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. Verse 16, the waters saw you, O God. When the waters saw you, they were afraid. Down the end of verse 17, your arrows flashed out on every side. The crash of your thunder, your lightnings, your way, your path, your footprints. You led your people. There's a transformation throughout this psalm. At the beginning, it's I, me, I, me, my. In the middle, you have kind of this bring together of he's still looking at himself, but he's starting to then look at God. And by the end, where is his focus? Repeatedly, on God. And is that not representative of how our battles start? I, me, my. And you might know, even in the middle of that, this is a problem. But you can't turn it. And it's not going to turn quickly. Persist. Don't give up. Because God has given in the scriptures what you need to live by faith. So go back to him repeatedly. Might seem to make it worse at first. Don't stop there. Press on. Press on and plead for God to change your very thinking. Cling to the truth and find in God's word eventually, maybe with the help of others, maybe with the help of, of good dead people that wrote wonderful works, maybe with the help of good living people that are your friends. Persist. Because God does give hope through his word. Those worn paths might not be working today. Don't give up, believer. Don't give up. Go back to the work of God. Go back to the person of God and find in him hope because it is there. Maybe as you've been listening, I would would end with two specific challenges. One, I think the people who are best capable sometimes of asking those questions in verses seven to nine, if you had to pick an age group where you're going to hear that kind of question. My selection would be the teenagers. Because sometimes in the teen years, you're seeing pretty clearly the hypocrisies and the faith, hopefully, of the people that are older than you. And you're trying to make sense of life. You say you live by faith. I see sometimes how you live. You don't have the depth of experience You don't have the calluses of life quite yet, like old people beyond you do. And so you're willing to spout out the questions that the rest of us just keep to ourselves. And I would encourage you to keep asking. I would encourage you to go to those that you respect and seek to make that start with your parents, with those that are teaching you, and ask those questions. It's fine to put Rob on the spot, you know, somebody else, ask those tough questions in Sunday school. I would also say it's fine to voice those, though, to your parents. 
Those are real questions. They really need to be asked. And there are real answers in scripture. Maybe not the answers you want, but it's there. And I hope the rest of us would would rejoice in that. Maybe as a child, you're not quite there to that level of boldness. Maybe you are, I don't know. Teen years just seem to have that knack for something like that. The other thing I would say is maybe you're in a situation where the night is unending, the trouble continues, and you have no hope because really you have no redemption. There's no history of God that you have yet. History with God. You can't go back and rejoice in the truth that he has saved you because you haven't yet turned to him. And if that is the case, then your life might be very dark right now because ultimately you have no one to help you and offer lasting hope. And we believe that that hope is found in Christ alone. We would point you to that and we would really love the opportunity to come alongside and help you with that. It's hard enough for believers to cling to the truth. But if you have no salvation, ultimately, any hope that you find apart from Christ is fake. And we would point you to him. This text is not built to lead you through those steps. We would take you somewhere else and show you this is Christ. He will help you. And so if that's where you're at, I would encourage you to find somebody after, after our service concludes and be willing to ask those questions. If there's any place that is where, where, where it's safe and okay to ask the questions that are burdening our souls, like verses 7 to 9, I hope it's among the people of God. And so if you scare off the per- first person, just ask somebody else. <laughs> God offers hope. He alone offers the hope that we're talking about this morning. God, thank you for the message of your word. Thank you that you work intentionally in your people to build our faith. And I pray for the perseverance, maybe of some here who are in this kind of situation even now. Instead of giving up, instead of turning to the right or to the left, Help them to persist by faith. If that means gathering other believers around them to help them along, then may they see no shame in that, but instead rejoice that there are people nearby who love them and who would point them to to you. May we be the people not who are putting on a face and pretending like things are okay. Instead, Help us to be a congregation that even in our weariness sometimes and even in possibly a state of being overwhelmed, we still run to you. We encourage each other. And by the faith that we hear and by the faith that you've given, we press on to the glory of your name because we know that you're working to redeem and you continue to shepherd your people. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.